0: Alright, so let's dive in today and get into God's Word together. Uh, it's one of the beautiful parts about worship. It's not only, uh, worship is not just singing alone, it is an overflow of worship. Worship is not just about giving of an offering, although that is an overflow reflecting what God has done for us. Worship is not simply prayer, although that's an activity of worship as we communicate with God. But But worship is also a part of worship, not the entirety of it, but a part of our corporate activity of worship is to get into God's Word. And as much as we like to pray and say, God, this is what is on our heart, the Bible is a very open declaration that God says, this is what is on mine. And so we're going to spend time in God's Word together, and we're continuing our study through the book of Exodus, looking at... The redemption of Israel, the the rescuing of God's people and how He takes a people who were once slaves on the pathway towards death, not valued or considered worth anything other than their slave and economic contribution to a world. He redeems them. He makes them a special kingdom, a special people, a, a, a special relationship with them. And we've seen how God has been working and bringing this about. And here we find ourselves again in Exodus chapter 20, considering uh, God's instruction as the redeemer to his redeemed, showing his instruction that is about his holiness, bringing about their holiness and how that holiness from God is ultimately what makes us whole. So. Let's stand and honor God in the reading of His Word. We're going to be in a very, very familiar passage. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, it is on page 64. We're going to be looking at the Ten Commandments, and I know you may already have them completely memorized because they're hanging on some wall in your kitchen. But for the sake of honoring God, we're going to read them together. They're going to be on the uh, screen behind me, but certainly please follow along in your copy of God's Word, whether it be in print or digital. This is the word of the Lord. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow in worship to them, and do not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the father's iniquity to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses His name remember the sabbath day to keep it holy you are to labor six days and do all your work but the seventh day is a sabbath to the lord your god you must not do any work you your son or daughter your male or female servant your livestock or resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them in six days. And then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Amen. Amen. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let's pray. Lord God, today we've read from your word, it may be familiar to so many of us, but help us to. Be refamiliarized familiarized with it today. That may not even be a word, but you understand what I'm saying because you know the very heart of every single person in this room. I pray that you would open their hearts, their ears, their eyes, their minds, their hands, and move their feet in a way that de- de- declares with worship to you that we trust you, we listen to you, we follow you because you alone are redemption you alone are the redeemer and we are your redeemed it's in jesus name we pray amen all right you may be seated so our goal every time we get into the word we want to spend time there and make it the central focus of our worship gatherings because this is god's gift to us his word he says uh, i have not left you uh, grasping about in the dark as if I would be distant and unknowable. He says, no, I want to present to you uh, what it means to know, to know me and to know me in multifaceted ways. And so when we spend time diving into the Bible, we're looking at these 66 different collections of books tied together as one. Some are law, some are history, some are a little bit of both. Some are poetry. Some are romance stories. Some are heroic rescues. You see mighty battles. You see incredibly uh, dramatic events. You see times of utter disloyalty and betrayal. You see times of incredible loyalty and faithfulness. You see promises of what's ahead, but you also see provisions of what's fulfilled those promises. You, you have the, the testimony of four different witnesses pointing to the life of this Jesus so that you're not depending on hearsay. It's it's four cohesive uh, testimonies from four different perspectives that show us this life. And then you show the evidence of what it means to trust in Jesus through this uh, early church and then the instruction on how to live our life based on what Jesus has already done. And then we get to look ahead and see The promise of the full redemption that will happen at the end of days. And I know some people get really caught up on what that looks like. And here's the only thing I can tell you. No matter where you are in your spectrum of belief about when the end will come, this is the only truth I know. Every day, we get a day closer to it. To God bringing about the culmination and fulfillment of all things in His time and His way. That, I know the Bible does say, for sure that he will provide that regardless of where your interpretation is i have mine you may have yours but that's not where we are today here we get the joy of glimpsing into one of these miraculous rescues that just is it's, it's really dumbfounding it's it's befuddling to the mind to think about god rescuing a people uh, considered worthless and some of the most lowly, of people that did not have their own land, of people that did not have their own nation. Uh, it's just a lineage that developed from a small person um, and multiplied into over a million people. And God redeems them. It shows His mighty hand and His mighty grace. But the Bible, it shows us these these revelations about God so that once, again, we may Move the needle of our life in our trust and our listening and our following a little bit closer to Jesus. That each day our, our truth, I mean, not our truth, our foundation of faith is a little more solidified in Him. Not because we're any better, it's because we get a better view of God. That, that He makes clearer who He is. That He's not changing, He's just bringing us to witness and see him for who He is and what He has said and what He has done. And so when we spend time in the Bible, we need to ask, okay, what does it mean? Because you can't change the meaning. And we can only find out what it means by seeing what it says. And thankfully we have the Bible in our language. It would be very difficult for me to try to teach you uh, from a Bible that was not in your language. And I'm thankful even today that places that don't have the Bible have faithful witnesses that are taking the, the 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 Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and they're translating it into these languages as they gain understanding about these languages. But we need to see what it says, what it means. And then we can see how it applies. It has a central meaning but there's all kinds of significance that overflows from that original meaning. It, we can't change that meaning but we can see the significance of it overflowing into multiple areas. But then there's the question of what we're going to do about it. And here specifically where we see commands... Make no mistake. They're commands. These are not options. These are not suggestions. These are not wise, sage, mystical advice. These are imperative, declarative statements, declarative statements from God about what we must do and what we must not do. Now hear me out. Because we're looking at these on the other side of the cross. We're looking at these on the other side of God paying the ultimate price. So where we are lacking, Christ fulfills. So we have a unique perspective that the people hearing this for the very first time, do not they did not know this. But we get to look back and say, God, nevertheless, even though I have not fulfilled these, Because of the gospel, I have someone who takes my place and fulfills it in my stead. Now, also with that, though, do not let that be an excuse as a way to wishy-wash your faith and say, but because Jesus has done it, I am of no account. No, that is not what the Bible says. So today we need to look at it and realize that we have that unique lens from where we sit today now the Bible has been provided to us in this moment on the other side of the cross. But here, as we look at these, these commandments, we, with this instruction, we want to ask, what insight can we gain from this redemption instruction? This redemption instruction that came about after God had chosen to rescue, after God had chosen to make promises, after God had totally brought the people through a miraculous exodus, God gives these commands. Once again, we're not looking at something that says, "Hey, here's a bunch of commands. If you can handle them, then I'll come and redeem you." No, this is God doing that already. And now the expectation, much like we have the gospels that show us this is who Jesus is, and then we have those letters after that says, "Now this is what it means to live in light of that." So this is like that 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 instruction for us. So what insight can we gain? Let's let's power through this. A little recap from last week. The first four are about vertical commands, this covenant relationship that we have with God who, who redeems His people. Him as the Redeemer, us as the redeemed. This is what it means to worship Him. But they are not exclusive to these commands that are horizontal, the last six. They all are interwoven. They all play a part. And they all hang on the root of the very first statement. I am the Lord... Your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. If we miss the identity and the character and the activity and, the, and the, the move and actions of God, then these commands are just a rule book dropped out of the sky, a voice from heaven. They don't have the meaning. They don't have the meat. They don't have that foundational anchor and root that we need. But when we base them all on that, and then we see how they're all woven together, it takes on a whole new perspective for us. The first commandment: Do not have other gods besides me. Some of your versions maybe say "before me." Uh, we talked about this a little bit. We did a recap in our um, connection group this morning, and and you know, uh, besides me, before me, you can. They're, they're really similar words here. So one is not the only right way, and, and the other. Um, but before me, some people have read that to say, okay. All right, that means God must be like the top numero uno. There may be some other things that are worthy of merit and that kind of thing below, but He's the numero uno. Um, but God is saying not only before me, but He's also saying besides me that I am the only one. So God is not just top dog, a bunch of bunch of other deities. No, He is the only one who is God. There is no other God but Yahweh. This tells us that that monotheism. God is solidifying. And if God has said it, how dare we trust anybody else to says? Because if God knows it, and God is it, and God is true, and God is good, and never tells a lie, we can bank on the promise and the central truth, He alone is God. Why is this important? What's the meaning? Well, we must worship God as God alone, and we must understand that this worship activity that we participate in, it's not to be taken lightly. It is of incredible importance. And the one that we worship is of far greatest importance and impact in our life. We cannot shortchange that. And we dare not try to move towards something else that God would not recommend. Once again, he's telling us these things for our good, because he loves us, and because he knows what is best. Secondly, the, the next uh, command we talked about that was vertical. Is this idea that we should not make any idols. And and this is one of the thicker commands, if you will, that that God pretty much covers this whole basis of of don't make things that you would worship. Even if you think they're good ideas or even reflective ideas of me, they are not to be worshipped in the place of me. They're not to have these activity, And we are to have this meaning in this vertical command that we are not to make an allowance for idolatry and then we talked about last week that's the even not that's not only just little shrines or or little places of worship but this is the area of looking at our life and saying god who and what do we honor most what has the most worth-ship in our life and the message behind this this command is that worship done properly has a right focus and a right activity the Lord is the only right focus of our worship. Taking this back, just a little small recap, John chapter 4, Jesus has a conversation with a Samaritan woman at, at a well, and you may know the, the familiar uh, part of this this account, where this woman who came during the midday, she waited till no one else was around, but Jesus is there, and they began having a discussion about living water and, and that kind of thing, and and Jesus begins telling her that if, if she were to trust in Him and to, to ask Him, He would give her this. And she's like, okay, that sounds like a great idea. And then Jesus says, well, if you want to know more, go, come bring your, your, your husband. And she goes, well, I, I don't have a husband. She, he goes, yeah, you're right. You, you, you've had five and, and the one you're currently with is not. And then they begin discussing, well, okay, I see Jesus, you're a prophet. So you're going to tell me how to worship. But you being a Jew say we're supposed to go to this city to worship and we being Samaritans say we're supposed to go to this mountain to worship. Which one is right? And Jesus tells her that what God is seeking and what God has made available is for him to not, for those to not worry about whether they should worship on this mountain or this mountain, this place and this place, but to worship in a way that is spirit and truth, that is honest and whole, that is holy and directed by God. So we should not make an allowance for idolatry. The third commandment is not to misuse the name of the Lord your God. Some versions may say carry the name of the Lord in vain or take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Uh, All of those are right statements of way of translating it. But sometimes we just equate that to using bad language with God's name mixed in the middle of it. Now the Bible does speak about that, and specifically in Leviticus it talks about the area of using profanity. And that's the Old Testament. If you bring it to the New Testament, you look in Ephesians chapter 4. It talks about coarse language and how those are not befitting and honorable to the Lord. But here it's talking about so much more. It's, it's carrying God's name well. I read this book by Max Lucado, and, and some people have different viewpoints about Max Lucado. I, I, I enjoy his writing style. It's, it's, it's very um, beautiful, and, and I, I like the way he tells a story. And he talked about this particular command and, and saying that what God is saying to us is not about us, but we make it so much about us. And, and this is the, the illustration he uses, and and it's not perfect, but it, it gives us a glimpse. Some of you work in the corporate world. you You, you have a boss uh and, and and maybe you know their their identity you know their picture because it hangs on a wall somewhere in 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 the building but you may not see pictures of their kids you know that kind of thing you just see the the corporate photo but imagine that this person this this boss you have is pretty magnanimous. He's a pretty great guy. He, he, he does a lot of charitable work for his company. He manages well. He, he does his best for those under him. But then imagine there's the person that is his daughter. That she doesn't really work for the company, but she does carry her dad's name. And she comes down to your floor or wherever you are and, and just makes your life an utter agony pain. All of a sudden, you begin seeing that name that's attached to that boss is tarnished. Because the next person, even though it's not them, has not carried it well. Today, many people look at the church and they say, oh, it's so full of hypocrites. It's so full of all these things. And and, and I tell them, uh, don't let that imperfection drive you away from following a perfect God. Just like whenever you go to the gym. I see many people that will go to the gym and then they'll go to Starbucks and have a donut and a coffee right after. I don't call them hypocrites. I call them human. Because I'm doing it too. But at the same time, we must understand that carrying and bearing the image and name that God has placed, not on our own merit, but based on what He And He alone has done to rescue us. We must do that well. We must strive for that. We won't have it perfect. But we should aim for it. That's the meaning. Do not take the name that you bear lightly. And worship, true worship, means that we must carry the name of the Lord properly for the Lord is to be hallowed. That fourth commandment we talked about a little more in depth last week when we looked at the, the weekly activity of rest and how God himself had declared and made that holy. So who are we to negate what God has said is holy and good and necessary and declared? That we are to continually take the weekly time to rest, reflect, be renewed, and respond to the Lord our God in worship weekly. And understand that we are to labor intensely in six days, but there is a setting apart of a weekly time of rest. And that that message is that worship is going to do something that reorients your life. As we see that the Redeemer is able to be trusted with all that that is is in our lives. That He is able to do much more than we ever could. So let's look where we're supposed to be picking up this week. The fifth of the tenth commandments. The fifth commandment is that of honor... Your father and your mother, so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So what is the meaning to, of this? What, what is the, the direction here? What does it mean to honor your mother and your father, or your father and your mother? Well, the meaning is this. We are declared and commanded by God to acknowledge the weight and respect for our family. Why? Because none of us willed ourselves, consented ourselves, if you will, that's a terminology in today's language, to be born of a certain name, to be born in a certain place, to be people that would cheer for Big Ten or SEC. None of us willed ourselves that. But God in all of his providence, in all of his foreknowledge, in all of his all knowingness, placed us in a perspective home he, he placed us in in that that place that he designated for us now i don 't know whether you have come from a home that you would say that was a good home. It was a good upbringing i, I don 't know if you were raised in that scenario i don 't know if you came from the nuclear family where there was a mom and a dad and and two point eight kids i, I don 't know i, I don 't know what the point eight that just seems kind of odd to me but I don't know what your family life is like, but I do know this. God did not make a mistake placing you in the home you were placed in. Now, your parents and those in your family may have made mistakes. They may have done things that were inappropriate. They may have done things that that did not acknowledge the weight of God and His grace. This definitely could have happened. In fact, God spoke about that in the commandment to not have idolatry, not to pursue things that were not worshipful of God. That these problems that, that echo from such a life will bring catastrophic pain and agony onto the second, third, and fourth generations in a home. But here's what we need to understand. When it comes to this meaning, God is saying, I have placed something special and set apart in the family unit that is not meant to be dissuased or set aside. It's not to be taken lightly. Why would God have to say that to a, a, a people that their only hope, their only connection to their past was family? because he was taking them out of a society but that wasn't necessarily the case that were at times it was not unusual for sons or uncles or brothers to say ah, let's just wipe that family out or I've got all these other people ahead of me I'd rather be on the throne not a big deal no, God says is a big deal. Respect that. Understand that. And trust God. This is the message. To trust His preeminence in this. To trust His provision in this. And, and even if, he, if you did arrive in a place that you think is not admirable or is good, trust God for His provision and His placement and His providence of what God is going to do through that and from that. Now... Lest we be mistaken and think this is only a commandment towards kids to their fathers and mothers. Fathers and mothers, here's the thing. You need to understand the weight of what God is saying here. To live a life worthy of honor. To live a life worthy of such an acknowledgement. To live a life that sets the children on a pathway to where they can also be parents that are worthy of honor. So that their children can also be set on a pathway that will be worthy of honor by their children. That what you do is meant to leave a a mark on them that it's not some kind of just begrudging activity that is not really worth doing. No, it should be something that you're living a way that demonstrates it is good for me to be honored by you because I have done good by you and by the lord because this is the lord's command to his people don't miss that out that part because the ultimate goal as these these commands attached to one another is for when people leave the home there'll be people that are worshiping the lord god alone that are not living an idolatrous life, that are taking the name of the Lord well and that are ongoing, weekly worshiping and raising a family that continues to do the same. The sixth commandment. Do not murder. Three words. This should not take very much time. But what does it mean? What does it mean? It means that worship is going to remind us deeply about the sacredness of life. Why does it do that? Because worship points back to a Redeemer who created life, who is the author of its story, who is the Lord and Master over its rule who is the Redeemer out of its pain and agony, who is the Sustainer and Sanctifier, and who is the One who keeps us holy and keeps us into His promise. While worship is not about us, it can't help but involve us to see that God has said the lives that He has created matter. And the only reason we are able to draw near to Him is because He said your life has its eyes open to me and drawn to me. Life is sacred. But murder, murder is unacceptable and abhorrent to the Lord. And I want to be careful because I know some of them say thou shalt not kill. The word for kill and murder, they're close but they're not the same. You could go either way here. What does this mean? It means someone who devalues life to the point of loathing and planned destruction for that life for their own benefit. Now this does not deal with the area of accidental death because God provided and would make a plan in the future to provide the people of Israel, when they got to the land, these cities of refuge, six cities, that if they killed somebody accidentally, they could go to these cities of refuge until there was a trial or until the high priest died who was the avenger, the person that was meant to bring the execution. Either or, if it was accidental death, they could, so they could go somewhere and their case would be made, their blood would not be demanded on them. So this doesn't take into account that. This this is not about the provision for the defense of oneself. That if you were attacked, God did say, stand up, mount up. It's not a pacifist argument. But the Lord has called His redeemed people to understand that His redemption of life means something about the lives He has redeemed. God is that Redeemer of life. He's created it, He's redeemed it, He's he rules it and it's created in His image. The message is do not forget that God is the Redeemer of life and that we are created in His image. The seventh commandment, do not commit adultery. Oh boy, God's going to tell us what to do in our bedrooms. That's awkward, but we're going to look at it. What does this mean? Looks like four words should be plain and clear. But what is the meaning? Well, worship is not only going to remind us about the Redeemer and how He values life, but it's going to make us look at the Redeemer and see the sacredness that He has of purity and fidelity to those He loves. And as such, as such that bear His name and carry it well, as such that worship Him as God alone, as such that is not trying to make an idol or an out or a loophole, as those that are making their weekly lives rearranged by Him, as those that are modeling a home, as those that are valuing life, this commandment is not to be... And taken and excluded. No, it's to be very much placed and say, God has been faithful and loyal and loving to me even though I am so faithless and disloyal to Him. And because He is taking that seriously and displaying His love to me, an act of worship is for me to have this in my relation with others. that there's meant to be a sacredness of that purity and fidelity, especially in the area of the home. The message of this is that God is faithful and a holy redeemer who causes people also to be faithful and holy in their activity, especially in this act of fidelity. Now this is going to get, if you think that's uncomfortable, this is going to get even more uncomfortable. Because sometimes we like to set ourselves on a a nice high horse as if, you know, we look at our life in our box and think, oh, I've got this figured out or maybe I made some mistakes here or that kind of thing. And I want us to focus on that just a little bit. But sometimes we use that and compare it to other people and we say, well, my situation's not as messed up as this. My situation's not as ugly as this. And and I'm going to put this to us in a church speak. Sometimes we do it in our church frame reference. We like to lovingly have a little competition between our viewpoints and and the name on our sign and those that have a different name on our sign. And, And we like to act at times as if because we have seen problems with people that have a different name on their sign that we're above reproach. And that's simply not true. And just because these things are happening in our life doesn't mean that we're automatically clean. Today, today, whenever you get home and you turn your news on, it might make the national news, I'm not really sure. But today there will be a report released over the last 20 years of 200 cases of abuse in Southern Baptist churches in America. Of the infidelity kind, of the kind dealing with children, spouses, affecting over 750 cases in Southern Baptist churches. that is being released today on the news. And so when we try to make a little thing like, all oh, these things don't matter, no, they matter. Because now if you feel the weight of how cringy that is, just, just knowing that that factor is there, it doesn't, it may not even involve you. You may not even know anybody that's ever gone through that. But the cringe factor lets us know that this matters. That this is a big deal. Now, I know what it's like to battle with a life that's impure. This is not me casting stones out there to say, oh, I've never done anything wrong. I've never looked at anything inappropriate. I've never had a bad thought. I've never done anything negative. This is me understanding the weight and the condemnation of that. Before I came to the point of of just utter conviction in my relationship with Jesus, I, I, I knew Jesus as, as an 11-year-old who asked Him to save me. But I lived the next t- almost 10 years Just incredibly, utterly idolatrous, thinking only about me, 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 and what I could gain for me, 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 the gratification, and the moment that made me feel good, and I hurt people. I didn't abuse people, but I definitely took advantage of relationships that were inappropriate. And I regret that. But here's the other part of that. There is a God who gives grace that you don't have to stay there. It may have been a part of your life and I am not casting stones there just as Jesus did not cast stones at the lady that was brought to Him in the midst of adultery. And I don't know why only she was and the guy wasn't. But there is a God who presents His grace but yet He tells us, go and sin no more. And do not take these lights. Because these horizontal commands are just as woven in as the vertical commands. They cannot be mutually exclusive. That the greatest command to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength can't help but overflow to your neighbor. It can't help but do that. Now people can try to confuse and love their neighbor and miss out on the loving God, but the loving God can never ever happen without loving your neighbor. It's just a part of it. Because God's love will not be boxed in. His worship will not be. The eighth commandment. Do not steal. Once again, three words. I'm going to break this down in the most respectful way possible. Do not take what is not yours. That is the meaning. What does that mean? Do not take what is not yours. If you want something... Labor for it in a worshipful way. Labor for it. God is not opposed to work. In fact, God is pretty geared towards work. The writings to the early church when people began taking advantage of the church was that he who does not work does not eat. It's a pretty strong thing. But you're meant to use your work as a way that says, let me honor God with this vocation. And be a good steward with what God has provided. So the temptation to steal, the temptation to take what is not yours does not become a reality in sin. And whenever you do this, you're trusting in the provision of the Redeemer. You're trusting in what He provides at the, at the after effect, the aftermath of laboring in a way that honors Him. Pretty simple one. The ninth commandment. Do not give a false testimony against your neighbor. Now this uses the language of a courtroom. But basically this is coming down to the fact of speak the truth and honor the promises. Speak truth and honor promises. The Bible resounds with these commands over and over again that we are not to be people who are false. We are not to be people that are duplicitous. We are not to be people that say one thing but mean another. We are not to tell lies. And especially in the area, in the, using this courtroom language, to understand it is truth that is the cement of a society. Any society that says they do not have truth is on shaky ground. Is on shifting sand. Because... There is any way you could go, chaos is the only answer, anarchy is the only rule, if there's no truth. And you may say, well, yeah, well, there's truth, but what's true for me is true for me, and what's true for you is true for you, but they may not be the same thing. That does not make sense. That is illogical to the uttermost, because I can just say, my truth is true, your truth is a lie, which one's true? But based on what you've said, what I've said is just true. It just doesn't make sense. So you've got to have truth to cement a society. And you've got to understand that truth is the foundation of any justice. That's why the Bible would lay it before that, that you had to be a truthful witness. And before anybody could be held account, there had to be two or three of them. And then guess what? If you were the witness of someone in a courtroom and they had committed an offense that led to death, and you're the one that's the witness, you have to be the one to throw the rock. You have to be the one to f- pull out the blade. You have to be the one to shed the blood. Now that brings truth to a whole other level. It's another thing to be like, oh, I kind of want to get out of this. Let me make a little you know, white lie kind of thing and, and make someone else look bad and me look good in the moment. But when it comes down to the fact that I'm going to be held accountable, I'm going to be right there looking the person in the face that I said a bold face lie about shows you how God cares about truth. It's a big deal. This commandment also prohibits slander. That you're not giving a false testimony about someone to get your way to elevate yourself and to push them down. The Bible's meaning on this is don't tell lies. Speak truth. Hold to promises. Why is that the meaning? Because the message is that we recognize God's awesome attribute of truthfulness. And when we're talking about this God, we're not talking about someone who is different this day and different this day. Me and you, we probably have mood swings. I knew I had tons of them. I have mood swings while I'm right here on this platform in front of you guys. You're like, he was happy a minute ago. I don't know what happened. Now he's yelling. I think he's about to cry. He was really loud, now He's quiet. But here's the thing about God. He is who He is. And when He says something, it's never a lie. Do you realize how awesome and good that is? We may not like the the fact of what He said, but how awesome it is that He is completely true. And Once again, if we're going to worship Him as God alone, if we're not going to try to make an idolatrous life that is not worshiping God alone, if we're going to carry His name well, if we're going to be honorable people that that have a weekly pattern of worshiping God and and being parents and families that, that hold the sacredness of life, that are worthy of honor, that do not commit adultery, that do not steal, that do not bear false wisdom, guess what? We're going to have to begin reflecting this God who is true. Even when it hurts. Even when it hurts. Here's the last commandment. You'd be like, oh, thank the Lord. But it's probably one of the hardest. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Coveting. I don't use that word very often. It's not a phrase that we hear. Although I do hear it sometimes on this awkward one, and and I I don't know how to feel about this. You ever heard anybody say, I covet your prayers? That's just kind of weird, right? I covet, you covet my prayers? I don't know if you're being, I I don't know how to feel about that. But but, while it may not be a familiar word, it it may be used awkwardly in sometimes spiritual talk. It does deal with a reality that we all face. And that's the root of sin in a heart that is filled with an arena of discontentment. It's like a stadium of saying, yes, you want that. You want that. They have that. They don't need it. You need it now. Get it now. Be discontent. Don't follow God. Do it your way. Get it out right now. every heartbeat it's something that all of us battle with I, I've, I've even felt it. i've even dealt with it guys there are times where that covenants it gets ugly and it leads to all kinds of malicious thoughts it gets to all kinds of ways that want to be poured out from the mouth and we try to spiritualize it too this is a confession for me up here I'll sometimes look and say, how is that church that big? Why are there so many people going there? Why can't that be us, God? I would do anything. Anything? Oh, no, not anything. But when you start questioning anything, to get to the results, and you might try to circumnavigate God's way, you see the problem? You see the problem. But it's also that, that, that lack of trusting God that, that Him as the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who knows when we sit, when we rise, we're saying, God, I think you made a mistake. I've been guilty of that too. Sometimes I'll, I'll put the humility thing there. It's a confession I had this week with Stefan and, and Frank. Maybe I'm not supposed to be the pastor here. I said those words. Maybe I'm just not the man to lead us. Maybe I can't command. And And believe me, this is not me coveting for praise or fishing for a compliment or a raise or anything like that. Believe me, that is not it at all. But we begin over-spiritualizing these things. You see the problem? To where we're like, if I could just do this and, and maybe God not get in the way. Hello? That's a problem. But I've got to begin trusting God in His time, in His direction. And I certainly can't question His motives. Now, this is a problem I have not had because I'll tell you, I am very, very thankful for my spouse. But do not covet your neighbor's wife. There are people that will go around and be like, they're just so malcontent and discontent where they are. And they'll say, God, if you would only place me with so-and-so. If you'd only given me this job. Or maybe these people would work with me. If i only had this resource, this ox or donkey. i only lived in this house. And the root of that is the heart and arena of discontentment that says, it's all about you. It's all about you. But the direction of the commandment says, no, it's not all about you but to recognize I am a God who deeply cares about you. And I went through the history of this world to redeem you and call you as my people. And when we look at it on this side, once again, we're looking at this on the flip side of the cross. We can look back at the most ultimate declaration examples says, this is what I did to redeem you. So whatever I tell you to do, filter it through that and then ask me if it's worth it. Then ask me if it's just optional advice. Then ask me if it's just some kind of mere wise statements. Now we'll begin to see that what the Bible is telling us, no, it's not meant to turn us into robots or puppets. But it is showing us how to become people that carry His image well, that worship His name above all, and live as the redeemed, carrying the message of redemption. This is why it brings about holiness. This is why it brings about wholeness. And if we're pursuing any other way, we're pursuing any other God. Let's pursue the way of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today, I ask that you would help us to, um, to face these commandments, not as some kind of rule book or checklist, but to see as them as a, as a loving gift from an incredible father. And today, as we have this moment to respond, help us to do so in a way that is pleasing towards you, in a way that brings renewal. And God, help us to focus on your redemption in the midst of it, what you have done to be the Redeemer in our life. This time of responses, well, it's here. Have your way. In Jesus' name. During this time, I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, as I I always do. I know that some of you may think, I I know the weekly habit and pattern here. But hopefully this would not be just a weekly habit or pattern for you. Those are good to have. But hopefully this time, as we come to this moment, help it be fresh. That realize that God, in all of His might, in all of His focus, in all of His know-how, in all of His Godness, has designated this time for you and I to to be here and meet with him. So do that. Because an encounter of that magnitude doesn't leave us the same. And if